0: From St. Louis Public Radio.
1: This is St. Louis on the Air.
2: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Danny Wisentowski. Before we get to today's topics, we have two pieces of exciting news. The first is that we resume a 5 day week broadcast schedule starting Monday. The second is that we've selected a new host for this show. Her name is Elaine Shaw. Elaine brings more than a decade of experience in journalism and community engagement. She's been a producer for Southern California Public Radio and 9PBS here in St. Louis. She created critical content for the Ferguson Commission's report, Forward Through Ferguson, A Path Toward Racial Equity, and she later worked on that organization's education initiatives. More recently, she served as senior manager for external communications at Big Brothers Big Sisters of Eastern Missouri, and she is the co-editor of the forthcoming Humans of St. Louis book. We're tremendously excited about Elaine becoming host of this show. She starts on November 7th and will begin hosting the show later this fall. To read more about this announcement, visit stlpr.org/host. And now to today's show. In 1980, Missouri Attorney General John Ashcroft sued a defense contractor named Lytton Systems. And that lawsuit made a particular point. See, at the time, the company employed thousands of people in Springfield in southwest Missouri, where they made electrical components for the U.S. Navy. But there was another product, a byproduct, that the plant made, and that was huge amounts of hazardous waste, which it dumped into pits and sinkholes on the property. In that 1980 lawsuit, Ashcroft wrote, We believe the discharges are contaminating the underground water system in the area. But that lawsuit didn't lead to a cleanup, and while it is among the earliest examples of official acknowledgement that something was wrong in the water in Springfield, it wasn't the last time. Far from it. Over the years, employees from Missouri's Department of Natural Resources repeatedly raised alarm about the site, especially after detecting the presence of a chemical called trichloroethylene at levels many times higher than considered safe for human contact. And yet, Springfield residents near the site kept drinking that water, pulling it out of wells, bathing in it, washing their hands, and those people were kept in the dark for some 40 years. Until Missouri officials finally told residents about that contamination— in 2018, this untold history of contamination and cover-up is the subject of a new investigation published this week by St. Louis Public Radio and the Midwest Newsroom. And here to talk about it are Eric Schmidt, economic development reporter with St. Louis Public Radio, and Steve Akrot, investigative editor for the Midwest Newsroom. Eric, Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This story has so much in it, and it really feels like an excavation, not just of you know, one place in Missouri that's dealing with water issues, but the notion of how does the public become aware of a danger to them? And how does the government uh, deal with those warnings? And why does it take so long for that information to get to the people that it really needs? Eric, I wanted to start with you. How did you get um,
0: involved in this investigation? What drew you to this? Well, it's kind of by chance. In, in some regards, back in September of 2021, there was a random uh, email that came through that says, hey, we filed this lawsuit against this company, Northrop Grumman, which eventually bought Litton Systems, which we probably will get into. And the lawsuit alleged that there was this contamination with this chemical, trichloroethylene, and... I just alarm bells went off in my head because I remembered when I was in school at Stony Brook University, which is on Long Island, the TCE and Northrop Grumman, they kept on coming up. It was a really big issue there. Um, there was, a, there was a, f- a facility that had uh, was tied to very similar types of contamination, and there was an investigation into that by the local newspaper there, and I saw that. And I immediately went, there's more to this story here. How can we do this? And I ended up messaging Steve that same day or that next day saying, I think there's something here to look into. Can we do something on this? And Steve, this this
2: chemical, trichloroethylene or TCE, what can you tell us about what this chemical is and and why it was being used at this plant in Springfield?
1: So TCE is basically a colorless uh, liquid that, Is it has the odor of chloroform, and it is a powerful solvent. And so, for the purposes of this story, what TCE was used for was to clean uh, grease and tape residue off of these circuit boards that this company manufactured uh, primarily for the Navy and the other industries. And they would basically just dip these circuit boards in TCE. And TCE is toxic and harmful to the environment. It is linked with uh, a a number of diseases, and it is also heavier than water. And so if you dump it into the ground, it stays there for a long time and can slowly percolate uh, ever downward. And that's what happened uh, uh, in Springfield, which is an area that is particularly susceptible to that, given the nature of the... uh, Uh, of of the groundwork there. Um, It's essentially almost kind of like a fractured uh, topography there where chemicals can uh, uh, sink quicker than they would in many other places.
2: This investigation, there was really kind of two sides that you were looking into. One part of it is just how dangerous TCE is and acknowledging, you know, that this was being dumped. And you actually, you know, not just found records of this, but talked to the employees who worked at this defense contractor. Um, you know, one of these employees uh, was named Pat Brugance, and she worked for uh, Lytton from 1967 to 75. And she shared with you what it was like to be exposed to these fumes from this chemical TCE. And she said it was like getting high or being drunk just from being in the air. And then she passed out.
0: They would just say, "Get out," because it was so bad that you had to leave real fast, and I didn't have time. I was a new person, so I really didn't know what was going on, so I passed out from it. And um, But it's a liquid. You don't really know that it's in the air. I mean, it just like he says, you just smell it. And then it just gets you high. You don't have no kind of ventilation, no nothing in there. So it was very bad. I know that.
2: Eric, hearing Pat describe, you know, the effects of working around this chemical, that it was it was very known uh, that it would have an effect on the human body just through the air. And, and that was, you know, she was working in the 60s and 70s. How far back were you able to trace just the understanding that this is a chemical that does not interact with humans uh, very well and, and that it is dangerous?
0: I mean, I think as far back as as, as they were working there, Uh, Her husband, who was in the room when we were interviewing them both, said that there was a little pamphlet that they had gotten that said, you know, TCE is a a carcinogen according to the state of California. But that was about all that that they got. And that was back in the 60s. So this was something that was kind of... Known by higher ups, you could say, as as toxic, but for the regular workers, they knew what it was used for in the facility, and that's kind of all that they focused on. It, it, they they used it to wash these circuit boards, remove the the tape and the and the grease, and you know anything beyond that, it it wasn't really top of mind or like you know something that you would really latch onto and and, and think about. At least that's what they. Expressed to us when we were when they so graciously led us into their house to talk about this story with them. Of course, and and Steve, I wanted to ask
2: you something about this this time period as well. Um, you know, we opened the show talking about this lawsuit from the Missouri Attorney General in 1980. I mean, we're talking about more than 40 years ago, raising these concerns uh, of is the TCE are these toxic chemicals. Uh, spreading further than this plant site. Steve, what do we know about what Lytton knew about at that time and, and whether they were acting or or trying to figure out, were they losing control of these chemicals?
1: Well, it's, it's worth pointing out that when Lytton opened in Springfield in the 60s, that predates the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, which is the federal agency in charge of Uh, regulating industries uh, that interact with the environment and generally supposed to protect the the environment. And so some of the dumping and activities that were going on there um, were not arguably not fully understood or fully regulated uh, in the way that it is today. And at the time that Missouri first started uh, raising some concerns about it, um, it was not particularly well known where the contamination had spread and how far it had gotten. Um, there are indications uh, that it was detected in the records that we had in uh, pretty high quantities uh, on the site, as you as, as you might expect. Um, but there were some settlements that were entered into, and for a long period of time following that in the 80s, there just wasn't much discussion, public discussion, about contamination issues coming from Lytton, which continued to operate in Springfield up until 2007. Um, and so that's a, you know, that's a long period of time that Lytton was doing business in different ways uh, in Springfield. We are talking to Steve Wachrod,
2: investigative editor for the Midwest Newsroom, and Eric Schmidt, economic development reporter with St. Louis Public Radio, about their new investigation into how Missouri officials failed to alert residents of Springfield that toxic chemicals had leaked into their groundwater. I wanted to ask you know, and bring in this notion of what dumping these chemicals really meant because, you know, Steve, you were just talking about that when this plant was in operation, it was before the EPA was made, there was, uh, you know, a limited... Uh, understanding of of what these chemicals could do, but it sounded like the workers that you talked to really understood that this sort of of approach of just dumping these chemicals into the ground, it had an impact, and it had an impact on their own behavior. And in your reporting, you interviewed another worker who had worked at the Lytton plant named Danny Eddington, and uh, he described disposing of these chemicals like TCE from the tanks, and he described how he did it. And it's kind of had a screw on deal on the bag. I just take my belt off, wrap around that screw, and then pull it
0: so I it unscrew and fall off and it just dump. This was an, and this was into some of the pits that were already dug back there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was quite a bit of dumped out
2: quite a bit of it dumped out there. Eric, we just listened to a bit of Danny Eddington, who was describing, you know, dumping these chemicals, and you interviewed him in a hospice, and just days later he passed away, and and he suggested that his employer Lytton at the time didn't try to care for the workers because it would appear that the company was taking responsibility, and this liability would be something that company of course fought over for quite a long time. but what do we know about the health effects on, on these workers? Uh, you spoke to some other folks who who suggested that they had known many friends, many former coworkers who who passed away from cancer. Um, what did you find out ab- about the health effects you know in this group of people
0: yeah I, I mean I think <clears throat> what you hear in in danny is is someone who is quite frail, and, and and it comes across, and e- even being in that room with him was incredibly humbling, and I think Steve would probably agree with that. Um, the topic of people, former Lytton workers, old-timers, as Pat Bergan, Danny Eddington's sister-in-law would say, uh, the, the number of them who had died from various medical ailments, it was so many that that was a key topic of conversation. It was something that came up multiple times in our interview with Danny. He talked about, oh, I have this list of people that I can get you. You know, it's on my phone. We're going to – he tried to locate it, locate it while we were talking to him, and, and he you know, unfortunately couldn't. The unfortunate thing is there's not enough – like – Epidemiological studies about you know, the specifics of how TCE relates to um, the human body, especially in the case of litton, to say that the lung cancer or the cancers you know of kidney or liver or whatever other ailments that former litton workers had is a hundred percent tied to the TCE that they used and worked with at the um, at the company but that doesn't stop the former workers from highlighting and, and saying that you know that they do believe that it's something that uh, that 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 you know is a contributing factor to the medical ailments they had
2: you can really hear it in his voice the the fidelity that he had and and the other workers who were aware of others becoming sick now part of what was really Frustrating and eye-opening about your investigation is that there were a number of both lawsuits, but also um, correspondence in the DNR, the Department of Natural Resources in Missouri, of employees talking about, you know, where are these chemicals going? It seems very likely that they've they're leaching out into the groundwater beyond just where this plant is, and this happens in the 80s, and this then happens again in the 90s, and it seems to also happen again in the early 2000s after Northrop Grumman purchased this site. And Steve, I wanted to ask you know about some of these records because this story just includes these remarkable passages of these emails and correspondence. Steve, what was it like trying to get these records of you know what the DNR was talking about in the mid to late '90s?
1: Um, well, I didn't know what we would get. You know, we, Eric opened our conversation talking about how he had contacted uh, me about my interest in the story, and I could hear it when he was describing um, what he thought was. Worth looking into it was compelling, and I was uh, grateful that he asked uh, that I help. And you know, one of the things that I frequently do in my reporting uh, is I send out a lot of records requests just to see what government records say, what they have, what they hold, what they show. In this case, we sent a records request into the Department of Natural Resources. in november of last year so we're almost basically 11 months ago almost to the day and they were slow to get that to us and finally they told us at one point they said look there are 20 linear feet of record these records um, that you're requesting wow yeah um and you know, the the implication was that, you know, that, and, they, and they existed in paper form. They hadn't all been digitized. And they suggested that there would be a cost associated with uh, digitizing and sending them to us. And I finally said, well, how about we just come there and look at them? And they agreed. Uh, so me and Eric this last summer traveled to Jefferson City, uh, where the Department of Natural Resources has a couple of office buildings. And we essentially sat in the... Uh, in a in a windowless room for two days, and they weren't lying about the twenty feet. Wow. They were. I mean, I didn't measure them, but uh, you know, eyeball, they met the eyeball test. And we just read through reams and reams of paper, and we found some of these records. You know, within that, within all of that, of these employees talking about, look, based on the data that we're seeing. Um, of TCE levels and other contaminants uh, on Lytton's property, it has to be going off of the property. And one of the key things about all of this is in 1993, uh, Lytton and the Department of Natural Resources reached an agreement to clean up the property. Uh, But the cleanup was limited to Lytton's property. And it was in the aftermath of that that some of these employees were raising concerns of... uh, hey, look, based on everything we're seeing, like this has got to be going off-site. You know, when is Lytton going to investigate off-site? And that didn't start mm-hmm. happening until 2002. And
0: mm-hmm. and that's something that came up in the documents multiple times from different people too. It wasn't just like one crusading DNR employee. It was, it was people who were, you know, not who may not have even known each other, raising very similar concerns. Wow. And it really wasn't
2: until, as you describe in this investigation, until 2018 when an unrelated, uh, you know, environmental spills, um, you know, there was a tourist attraction near there that detected TCE nearby, raised an alarm, and it really kind of forced the DNR to acknowledge, um, you know, what it had already known. And I wanted to, you know, bring out this, this incredible, you know, you talked to one of these residents named Don York, who had moved into the area in, in 2007, you know, again, decades, years after it was already known. And he described kind of what it was like trying to talk to the DNR about what this actually meant for land that he lived on.
1: I pinned down their geologist at their public meeting. How long is this going to take? The state's geologist said it could be over 100 years. Now, over a hundred years,
2: I was in my 60s, now I'm in my 70s. How am I supposed to relate to that as you're fixing the problem? You're overseeing fixing the problem. My daughter won't be alive in a hundred years unless she's a miracle. My grandkids are going to struggle to be alive in a hundred years. That was Springfield resident Don York uh, talking to reporters uh, Eric Schmidt and Steve Akrot about this investigation and to the chemical that, that had been leaking out into Springfield. Uh, you know, Eric, very quickly, you know, for people like Don who are wondering about, you know, our land is contaminated for 100 years, where does this leave them?
0: Where? What can they do now? I mean… I think that they have gotten to the point where they they filed a lawsuit against the company Northrop Grumman, basically saying you withheld this information about contamination from us, and we would like damages paid out for that. and And that's kind of the last place that they can go is to is to seek legal action. I think for other for other residents, it's a little bit it's a little bit um, different because the levels of contamination in their in their private wells aren't isn't necessarily like as high as what the yorks had the yorks had something that was on the order of you know 17 times higher than what the EPA considers safe but of course that's just what the EPA considers safe there is not really a standard that says you know over 5 parts per billion is unsafe but if you have 4.9 parts per billion that's somehow safe that's mm-hmm. kind of a something that we ran up against in this article you know i think moving moving forward it's you know you you put filters on your water you put filters on the well but it, you know for a lot of the 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 dual part of this story was, it's not just moving forward with your water, but it's moving forward with how can you regain trust in an entity that was ostensibly supposed to protect you. That really is a matter of trust. And if you want to read
2: the full story on this, the full investigation, and including DNR's response and apology for uh, the way that it handled this, you can read the entire investigation on stlpr.org, titled Missouri knew of Contamination in Springfield's Groundwater Decades Before Anyone Told Residents, written by Eric Schmidt, economic development reporter with St. Louis Public Radio, and Steve Vockrott, the investigative editor for the Midwest Newsroom. Eric, Steve, thank you so much for being here today.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for having us.
2: This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dore. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer.
0: St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio.
1: Understanding starts here.